Welcome to Palace Confidential, the weekly podcast all about the royal family where we assemble some of Britain's most fabulous experts and commentators and delve into the news coming out of the palaces to keep you royally clued up. I'm your host, Joe Elvin, editor of the Mail on Sunday's You magazine. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Palace Confidential on video. Hello and welcome to Palace Confidential, the Mail Plus show about the big royal stories. I'm Jo Elvin and here's what's coming up this week. Intruders at Windsor Castle, how the royals are reeling from another security scare. Plus, we discuss what really went on when Harry met William at the weekend. And happy birthday to Her Majesty. We look at another extraordinary milestone for the Queen and bring you a few facts that you might not know about. Before we let our panel loose on those topics, though, let's have an update from the Mail's royal editor, Rebecca English, who I caught up with earlier. Rebecca, the funeral of the Duke of Edinburgh was a major royal event. Tell us about your memories from being there. And let's look at the worrying news about an intruder at Windsor. Well, this is a really worrying story that uh, originally appeared in The Sun, and it turns out that on Monday, a fee- fixated female intruder uh, not only got into the grounds of Royal Lodge, which is Andrew's home in Windsor Great Park, but actually got into his house himself. And what's really shocking about it is not only did she actually blag her way past the police court and claiming that she was a friend going there for lunch. She even got them to pay her taxi fare. And she wandered around the grounds for about 20 minutes before she got into the house itself. Now, fortunately, the staff there realised very quickly this is someone who wasn't invited and restrained her and the police were called. And um, she's now been detained under the Mental Health Act. But um, it's one of those situations you think is never going to happen. And when it does, it's pretty shocking. There's been lots of conflicting reports over what happened between Harry, William and Charles at the weekend. What's your understanding of what went on? Well, my understanding that the suggestions there was some great summit between Charles, William and Harry are really wide of the mark. They did see each other for the first time in more than a year. Um, They did speak to each other outside of Windsor Castle after the funeral had ended. But there was no great rapprochement. And I think it's fair to say there's still a lot of work that needs to be done to repair these really fractured relationships. What's the next step? This can't carry on surely as it as it has been. Well, it's a really good question, and I'm not sure what the answer is, because, of course, Harry can't just pop over to see his family. He's in the UK and there are major COVID restrictions in place regarding international travel. Uh, and those kind of conversations are quite difficult to have over Zoom or, or video call. Um, but the truth is they've got to try and start finding a way forward before July the 1st, because, of course, that's when William and Harry are due to unveil a statue at Kensington Palace in their mother's memory. And obviously all eyes will be upon them. But as I keep on saying, you know, my sources are telling me don't underestimate the depth of the, of the rift that's between them. What Harry and Meghan did, not just in leaving the royal family in the way they did it, but particularly that Oprah interview in which they made some pretty shocking allegations about their own family, that has, that has hurt people really, really deeply and made them very, very wary of them as a couple. So there is a lot of work yet to be done. Meghan and Archie talking to the Queen before the funeral. What do you know about that? Well, there's been a few claims in um, US publications this week. Um, Firstly, that Harry met his grandmother, the Queen, twice when he was over here 
uh, for his grandfather's funeral, but also that Meghan and Archie spoke to the Queen before the funeral. Now, I'm sure, obviously, this wasn't any kind of great in-depth conversations, and it was more a chance for the Queen to see her great-grandson and for Meghan to pass on her condolences. But I think it's a positive um, outcome, if true, because it shows that there is a there is a continuing line of communication between them, despite everything else that's gone on. We'll have more from Rebecca in just a moment, but here to discuss all the big stories this week is The Mail's columnist Sarah Vine and Richard Eden, who is the Saturday Diary editor at the paper and the author author of the new Palace Confidential newsletter. You can sign up to that using the link on screen. Welcome to you both. Hello. Going to start with you, Richard. All eyes, of course, on William and Harry at their grandfather's funeral. But anyone looking for a bit of a defrosting there might have been a bit disappointed. Yes, I mean, frankly, I think Harry was lucky that they spoke to him at all. I really do. Um, Meghan's cheerleader, Omid Scobie, has been sort of gushing this week about, you know, how much... Um, Harry and Meghan love and respect the Queen and um, respected Prince Philip. But let's remember, they gave their interview to Oprah when Prince Philip was seriously ill in hospital. And they went ahead with it. They didn't have to, but they did. And during that interview, they said some very hurtful things and they, they kind of tarnished the whole institution of the monarchy. And I think there's still very raw feelings about that. I mean, really, it's lucky for Harry that his first reunion with the royal family was at a funeral. So obviously everyone was in a very sympathetic, sort of sombre mood. And I'm sure people um, exchanged a few friendly or respectful words with him. But I'm sure it wasn't anything more than that. Yes, it's hard to, watching it, it's hard to imagine whether that atmosphere was, how much was the funereal somberness and how much was the frostiness mm. that we all imagine what do you think i mean i just think at a funeral you don't you don't air your dirty laundry at a funeral do you i mean everybody just has a sense of decorum um and i think that um but it was william who requested peter phillips walk between them behind the coffin i think he feels very strongly that harry has really overstepped the mark and he's very, very angry with him. And I don't think that's going to go away anytime soon. And I think he's perfectly entitled to feel angry with Harry. He's behaved appallingly. Um, I think Kate, as ever, tries to be the sort of, you know, smoother over of all the stuff. And I think she was, she, she was very sweet and did a very good job of just sort of chatting to Harry and then letting him have a couple of moments. But you could see from the sort of body language, you know, watching uh, William, you know, his jaw was very set and Harry kept sort of slightly looking over to him and he was just, you know, straight ahead. He's, he's, he's not happy and that's fair enough. I mean, the next time, uh, Harry comes back will be for the Diana Memorial statue unveiling. Yeah. I hope Meghan doesn't come for that either. Um, she'll just have the baby, so she probably won't be able mm. to. But I think it would be best if he came on his own at this stage. But what, speaking of Meghan, what do you imagine was this conversation that we're hearing that the Queen and Meghan had just ahead of the funeral? Well, this is the conversation. I think we've heard about it from People magazine. People tells us that she had this conversation with the Queen. Um, I, I know not, no more about it than what I've I've read there, but again, I'm sure the Queen was just pleased to accept her the condolences that she was I mean, even, even in the wreath, I mean, she sent a wreath, didn't she, which was a nice thing to do. But even then, it was all about her. It was all about, oh, I've chosen these special flowers and I've and done it in this special release. way. And there was a press release. It's not about you. 
you send a wreath, that's it. Don't tell the world how brilliantly you've done I the guess, wreath. I, I guess she might have been nervous about the British press saying she'd been heartless and done nothing, so well, wanted it out there that she, she had is, done something. Well, yeah, but you don't have yeah. to then go on about how sort of, you know, how your wreath is the best wreath and the most amazing. You and know apparently the press release even included the name of the manufacturer. Exactly. I mean, it's not a commercial opportunity. It's a wreath at a man's funeral. Just send some flowers and shut up for once. It's a complicated old family, isn't it? And I think that Charles is probably starting to take on that mantle of understanding the complicated scenarios that he'll be managing. Did you feel that, you know, a lot was made in the paper this week of him sort of like gently ushering the cars on so that people could walk together mm. after the funeral? Did you think that was a deliberate... Um, move on his part? It, I, I think so, yeah. It was a clever move because, you know, they would be expecting to get into their separate cars again, but letting them walk together um, gave people a chance to talk, and I, I'm sure Prince Charles had that in mind. I mean, he, he won't want his sons to be at daggers drawn, will he? So I'm sure he does want them to make some sort of I think also, a walk, you know, a walk rather than the car, it's just, a, it's more relaxed. I and mean, I think they were probably all very, very tense. I think when you come out of a situation like that, it's nice to have a bit of a stroll and a little bit of fresh air. And it was a beautiful day. And I think it was just, a, it was just a very nice moment. And I'm sure they were talking about Prince Philip and their memories. Yeah, of course they were. Well, um, I hope so. I mean, it, but it just feels like that's it now. We were all expecting this... I don't know whether it was a summit or another meeting or some talks, but Harry's back in L.A. now. Yes, he's back in L.A., presumably being debriefed and reprogrammed. <laughs> oh, you old cynic. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like Clockwork Orange with his eyes open with matchsticks being told what a bad boy he is. I don't know. Who knows? But um, uh, I, I did think it was a beautiful funeral, I have to say. And I thought it was incredible in its sort of elegance and, and sort of... Spartanness, and it was really moving. One of the things that really stuck out for me was that that picture of Kate, sort of yeah. taken that that stunning portrait of her with the face mask mm. and the pearls, and it. She looked so regal to me. Do you feel like this moment where she brought the brothers together in that subtle yeah. way, as it speaks to what kind of you know she's becoming more well, she's the, regal. She's, she's the antithesis, really, of Meghan, in the sense that she is. All about. I mean, I think there are echoes of Philip in Kate. You know, she is. She is this. She's in it for the long game. You know, she's not expecting any immediate rewards. I mean, it's her tenth wedding anniversary next week. She's worked a decade at this, and she's very slowly but surely built up her reputation, uh, not just with the family, I think, but also with the public. And she is all about the duty, and she's all about the family, and trying to do what's best for everybody. And it contrasts, I think it contrasts so starkly with this sort of me, me, me thing that Harry and Meghan have got going on, where everything is about their sort of emotions all of the time. I don't know what Kate's emotions are. I don't need to know what Kate's emotions are. No, she gives herself, she, she's very good. She sort of shows just enough to show that she's a human and a normal person, relatively speaking. But then she maintains this sort of proper kind of, I think she's quite sort of good at, at managing the, the, that, that dynamic between being a public persona and being an, a real person, a mother with three kids who likes to take photographs. You know, she's, she's worked, and she's all about show, not tell. Do you see what I mean? Mm. So she's really put in the work, and I think that's starting to really pay off now, actually. But also maybe, I'm just speculating it, maybe if you don't grow up in this country, you just can't be, possibly begin to understand what that duty in that family is like. I don't like. think that's true at all. I don't think that's true at all. I think it's a question of personality, actually. I think it's about 
I think it's, it's, you know, it's understanding that in life, and then this is universal, it's not just about the royal family or anything. In life, you just have to sometimes get your head down and just work at something. And that it's not always straightforwardly, immediately what you want it to be. Mm. You know, that if it doesn't all, it doesn't all materialize in front of you as you've planned it, then it's, you don't just walk away, you carry on and you try. And, you know, let's remember that Kate had quite a difficult time in the beginning, actually, and people were mm. sort of yeah, quite, so, quite yeah. sort of mean about her and stuff. And, and she's, just, she's just said, OK, fine, well, I'm going to change your mind. I'm going to show you who I really am and what I'm really all about. And, and I'm not going to throw all my toys out of the pram and, and run away and be upset. She's, a, she's really grown up. It's a, it's a, you know, she's very mature. For, mm. And she's only 38, really, if you think about it. Well, that's not that. Oh, she's I a mean, baby. I speak... I was <laughs> <laughs> slightly biased. But I think there's, there's, that, there's that real contrast between William and Kate, who, who are sort of in it for the long game, really sort of putting in the hours, and, the, and, and Harry and Meghan, who are just... If, they, if it's not their way, then it's the highway straight away, and they don't, they don't really want to have... They don't want to meet anyone halfway. Mm. Let's talk about William for a second, because, Richard, the papers were filled with indignation over this football scandal that I don't really understand, <laughs> and now it's all over. But he, William took the time this week to have his opinion on this so-called Super League. Um, did you... Is that a good move for him? You know, is that something that he... It's appropriate for him to be weighing in on? Well, I think it's been very interesting to witness because we're not really used to royals intervening in this direct way. And he did so on Twitter and he made a point that the tweet came from him with mm. a W at the end. And he made clear that he thought these plans were bad. He warned against them. And that chimed with um, a lot of people who were worried about them. And I think it does give us an inkling of what we can expect in the future from him as king. There was a recent profile um, of William that said he planned to be a more political monarch when he mm. eventually becomes king. And this seemed to be an example of that, where he's really getting stuck in. And it, it's interesting. I, I mean, it's unthinkable to imagine the Queen ever, ever doing something like this. Well, the other thing that fascinated me about it was all of these things normally take such a long time in a decision process in the royal family. He must have had to decide pretty quickly that he was going to put his neck out on this one. Did you, do you think he'll have to be more careful in future with those I, topics? I, I think this was... I think, I think he sort of elevated the whole thing to a new level, didn't he? Because, I mean, the, you know, it was a, originally it was a football story mm. and then suddenly it was a front-page story because he had stepped in. And that, and that does show you what a huge difference his intervention can make. I think on this occasion he called it right, but he could have easily called it wrong. So, yes, I think you're right. He does need to... But maybe he just felt very passionately about it. Let's move on. Um, so I'd love to know, Richard, what you think of this whole security scare with Andrew. He's the one who's been calling for more protection for the family for a while, and he's the one who's sort of like had a near miss with a supposed stalker. I mean, at first, when I heard about this, it is hard not to sort of chuckle a bit because, you know, it's some... Um, stranger claiming to be engaged to Prince Andrew is taken very seriously, so seriously by his guards that she's ushered into his house and, um, and they even paid her cab fare from Heathrow. So she was clearly very plausible. Well, apparently she looked immaculate. I'd love to know what she was wearing and how, you know, that she, she looked presentably refined, apparently. Mm. So, well, yeah. she convinced the guards, um, but she was later detained under the Mental Health Act. So... Um, yeah. Anyway, Sarah and I both have alibis for that day. So we just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but it, no, it does raise a very serious question. I mean, come on, if someone can just, you know, be literally ushered into a royal residence like this, and Andrew does still have um, security, 
Um, so it does definitely Plus, of raise course, a brand new Bentley. questions. Yes, he's why got. Why has he got a brand new Bentley? Why does he need a new Bentley? And also, why does he have a bit to jealous, have Sarah. repainted green? <laughs> I, d I don't know. Um, I'm because not he's man. still a prince. He is. <laughs> okay, right. Because he doesn't carry out public engagements anymore. He doesn't do anymore, anything but, anymore. So why does he need a new car? Well, I think it's his personal car. Well, if he, he didn't have a new car, maybe he could spend more money on security. Uh, That's probably a conversation going on as we speak. <laughs> we'll have more on all of this in just a few moments. Before that, let's go back to Rebecca to talk about the Queen's 95th birthday. I started by asking how Her Majesty marked the day. Well, I wrote a story earlier on this week kind of outlining what was going to happen. And, and that's very much it was going to be a very low key day in light of everything that's going on and the fact that we're still in royal mourning. So the Queen would have a few visits from family members, probably Prince Andrew and the Earl and Countess of Wessex. They live very close. Um, she would go walking her dogs. But it really would be a very low key day. No big um, uh, official release of a new portrait, which is the kind of thing we expect on her birthday, especially something like her 95th. But what Buckingham Palace did do was issue a statement on the Queen's behalf, thanking people for their support and good wishes at a very difficult time. They made very clear, she made very clear how much it meant to her to have so many good wishes directed towards her and the family at a time of great sadness. And she said she found it very comforting to hear how much her husband had meant to so many people. Rebecca, there seems to be a desire to get back to work soon. When can we expect that? Well, by the time you're watching this programme of Palace Confidential, she will be back to work. I mean, the official royal mourning is about to end. Um, she will be back getting stuck into those cases of red official papers that follow her everywhere. My understanding is that Palisades are already setting up a small number of engagements, mostly kind of Zoom calls and video calls from Windsor Castle. But on May the 11th, we will see her at the state opening of Parliament with her son and heir, the Prince of Wales. So it will be back to back to business as soon as possible. Inevitably, turning 95 will provoke more questions about her reducing her workload and handing over more responsibility to the family. What do you think will happen? I think the one thing that people need to understand when it comes to the royal family, particularly the Queen, who is a very cautious woman, it's about evolution, not revolution. So this is something we've been seeing, seeing slowly and gradually over recent months and years and we'll continue to see slowly that, that some of the more onerous affairs of state, the investitures will be handed down to other members of the royal family. Um, and I also had an exclusive front page for the Daily Mail last week saying that one of the things they're planning to do is to make sure um, more members of the royal family accompany her now and engagements to support her. I mean, it's not just that she's obviously lost her husband, but she's a 95-year-old woman. And that, you know, obviously takes it, toll however determined she is to carry out her duties rebecca english there let's talk to our panel again now sarah the queen's birthday is obviously always gun salutes pomp ceremony pageantry but this year it just all felt a bit flat didn't it? well this is her actual birthday isn't it not her yeah, official yes, birthday so she, she normally has her actual birthday quite quietly doesn't she she doesn't do anything <laughs> i don't know maybe she has a colin the caterpillar cake or maybe a Cuthbert the caterpillar. Yeah, cake. well, let's not get into um, such but, curly. But yeah, issues. I mean, a different. I mean, you know, it's never. I mean, birthdays that when something like this has happened are just not birthed. I mean, you just—it's very difficult to to, yeah. to know what to do and 
you got everyone says everyone says happy birthday everyone wishing you a lovely day and you just think oh leave me alone i yeah. don't want to have a lovely day i don't feel lovely and no. i don't want to be i mm. don't want to to be happy today so i don't know i mean i just i think what's really sad is that harry went home on her birthday i mean i actually think that's really sad i mean what's wrong with him yeah Why, what, it does seem a bit, wrong for the him? sake Why, of another 24 hours Why doesn't he just stay until Thursday. Because there's a much more important woman in his life, Sarah. Well, I know, but come on, she's 95 and she's just lost her husband. I mean, I, you know, and he was here anyway. And it's yeah. 24 hours. I mean, really? But it must be a moment to bring into sharp relief some other solemn conversations that need to happen. They will want to project this image of business mm. as usual. Mm. She's 95. Mm. She's the head of state. They, there must be some conversations about how that transition yeah might of course happen. i mean charles has now got to make got to have some very serious conversations with himself and his mother and they've got to work out how this is going to work because it has to be planned because everything is always planned so there will now be a time frame presumably because you know it is what it is i mean she's 95. so that, i mean I, I i think it's a it's it is a big pivotal moment in the royal family i do i do really think that and this is just sort of the beginning of it in a funny kind of way palace officials have been very keen to play down the idea of a sort of summit that charles has called with prince william to plot the future mm. but they will be having lots of conversations of and it will you know when the queen is 95 mm. um by definition it will be a, a transition of of some effect yeah. and charles will be with her at all those big yeah. events such as state mm. opening of parliament but how do you think charles feels i mean it's it's sort of it's so unusual the situation where she, she she's 95 charles is not young no a lot of people will already be thinking about what williams monarchy will look like yeah it's, that must be such a weird position for charles exactly i mean yeah. what um the strange thing for charles will be that you know when he does become king already everyone will be looking to prince william and he won't be making big decisions um without consulting his son i mean they just need to manage it very carefully i mean lots of people keep saying to me oh why don't they just make william king mm. you know but i just I can't see them ever doing that. That would just be completely... I mean, unless Charles became incapacitated and was incredibly ill, mm. um, then maybe... That, but I, I don't think there's any suggestion that that's going to happen. But I just think, you know, it needs to be managed in a, in a, in a very careful way because she's 95. I mean, and even with the best will in the world, it's going to happen in the next... Mm you know, five to six, seven years, isn't it? Gosh. Do you know, when we first started this show, I remember people thinking, what could we possibly talk about with the royal family every week? And they are no, one it's, complex, yeah. complicated, no, fascinating and bunch. I, and like I said, I just, I think it is the beginning now yeah. of, the, of the transition phase. Um, it's going to be huge. The next few years are going to be really important for the royal family. We'll watch this space. It'll all be here. But that is all we have time for. My thanks to Rebecca, Sarah and Richard as ever. And remember, you can sign up to the Palace Confidential Weekly Newsletter written by our very own Richard Eden. We're very excited about that. So to check it out, head to www.mailplus.co.uk forward slash palace hyphen newsletter. I hope you remember that. That's links on the screen below for those who can't. Before we go to mark the Queen's remarkable 95 years, we have put together precisely 9.5 facts about Her Majesty. Enjoy that and we'll see you next week. The Queen doesn't just own all of the UK's swans, she also owns all dolphins and whales found in British waters. That's right, 
there's a statue from the reign of King Edward II, which is still valid today, which gives the Queen ownership of not only dolphins, but whales and sturgeons as well. Not sure the SNP will be too happy about that one. Her tiara snapped on her wedding day. It sounds like a classic pre-wedding nightmare, but a few hours before she was due to walk down the aisle to marry Lieutenant Philip Mountbatten, her diamond tiara snapped in two as the hairdresser was securing it to her veil. The Queen Mother reportedly told her daughter that they'd still had two hours and there were other tiaras, but the fringe tiara was whisked over to the royal jewellers under police escort, where it was welded back together and returned to her just in time. She drinks a glass of champagne every day. Legend has it the Queen drinks a glass of champagne every night before heading off to bed. Well, wouldn't you if you were her? However, her favourite tipple is a gin and Dubonnet. When she's gifted a rare animal, she donates it to London Zoo. Over the years, the Queen's been gifted six kangaroos, two tortoises, beavers, jaguars, sloths, hippos, crocodiles, anteaters, and an elephant called Jumbo. She can imitate the sound of a Concorde jet landing. Apparently, Her Majesty has a great sense of humour and a talent for miming. The Queen's chaplain, Bishop Michael Mann, once said that the Queen imitating the Concorde landing is one of the funniest things you could see. The Queen has her own cash machine at Buckingham Palace. The machine is operated by Coots, an upmarket bank which provides services to the mega-rich. Now everyone knows the Queen never carries cash, but she does carry it on Sundays to give it out at church. So perhaps that's when her own personal ATM comes in useful? Her favourite nail polish is Essie Ballet Slippers. Costing just £7.99, Ballet Slippers has been the Queen's favourite nail polish since 1989. Essie say they received a letter from the Queen's hairdresser requesting a bottle of it, as it was the only nail polish Her Majesty would wear. In 2004, the Queen sat for a hologram portrait made up of 10,000 layered images. This 3D effect portrait of the Queen was commissioned by the island of Jersey to commemorate the island's 800-year allegiance to the crown. The piece was sold in 2017 for just over £187,000. The Queen speaks fluent French. It's not easy to keep up fluency of a different language without practice, but the Queen often switches between English and French when giving speeches in France and other French-speaking countries. There's even video footage of her holding a nearly 10-minute speech in French when visiting Quebec in 1964. She once allegedly demoted a footman for giving whiskey to her corgis. The Queen loves her corgis, but they can get notoriously nippy. As a practical joke, one disgruntled footman spiked one of the corgis' food and drink with whiskey and gin. When the Queen found out, the footman was very much in the doghouse.